I'd like to introduce to you uh, these two fellows in the in the smart suits uh, that are walking that are walking up to the stage. Uh, Dean Moore and Johan Swanapool are actuaries at Just Retirement in South Africa, a specialist provider of enhanced annuities, which uses actuarial techniques to enhance retirement income. This year they created what I'm told is a world first enhanced with profit annuity, combining the rare actuarial skills of underwriting at retirement and dynamic hedging of with profit annuities. Dean is the CEO of Just Retirement South Africa. He has 26 years of actuarial experience acquired in South Africa as well as in the UK, which includes creating South Africa's first inflation-linked annuity. Johan Swanepoel is the product actuary at Just Retirement. He has some 20 years worth of actuarial experience in annuities, pension fund valuations, and asset liability management. He has presented a number of innovative papers to the Actuarial Society of South Africa, covering topics such as mortality credits in retirement and demonstrating how dynamic hedging successfully managed with profit annuity risk during the 2008 global financial crisis. Actuaries Dean and Johan explore the actuarial tools available to help those who reach retirement without sufficient assets. This is a problem, of course, I think many of South Africans find themselves in. Both actuaries will argue that the required techniques already exist, but that a lack of innovative application often results in retirees resorting to risky methods to survive from the very little that they have. Please welcome both Dean and Johan to the stage. Thank you. Thanks, Costa. Um, it's quite helpful, I think, to lead on after Michael and Megan's um, presentation. It's all been about the challenge of getting to retirement with a pot of money. And now we want to look at um, having reached retirement with a pot of money. How do we help pensioners get the most out of that pot of money in their retirement? So why even bother with this talk? Um, Treasury's retirement reform initiatives and, and papers challenged the profession and the industry. Um, effectively, if I summarize all of those papers, it comes down to South Africans retire with insufficient assets to maintain their lifestyle, and retirement propositions serve commercial needs better than customer needs. Um, Johan and I have both spent our most of our careers focused on improving um, customer outcomes in retirement. Um, we've, we've put our money where our mouth is effectively in, in um, bringing just retirement to the fore. But essentially we believe that getting to retirement age is not an automatic qualification for becoming a financial um, and longevity risk management expert. Um, by contrast, for most of us in the room, we've spent seven years or more going through an actuarial qualification, and hopefully that gives us some measure of expertise to help the pensioner reaching retirement. So we fundamentally believe that the actuarial profession can do more um, than simply transfer longevity and investment risk in retirement onto the pensioner. So why is the industry so desperate to get rid of the elderly? Um, if we look at least in Western society, there's a trend to get rid of the elderly by institutionalizing them. Um, and that's also reflected in financial services. So we've seen in the 1990s a transfer from defined benefit to defined contribution. So corporates moving away from saying we have responsibility um, for our employees for life um, and we employ experts to help manage that risk. Um, to a situation of removing that volatile pensioner liability from the, the balance sheet and transferring the, the long-term um, liability to the individual. At the same time, insurance companies have effectively moved from providing lifelong guarantees to individuals to investment products that generate high margins, um, have low capital requirements, and again, shift the longevity risk onto the individual. So are actuaries still relevant in, in retirement? Um, for those of us who have enough gray hair to remember this, um, there was a time when there were 200 qualified actuaries in the country um, who did all the complex interaction of looking at longevity and investment and other risks with pen and paper. 
Um, we've graduated today to thousands of actuaries using very sophisticated stochastic simulation models um, focused on managing immaterial risks that remain in defined contribution arrangements um, and um, living in UTs. And then the really complicated job of managing longevity, choosing an appropriate long-term investment strategy, making a pot of money last for lifetime, we've delegated to our bus drivers, our factory workers, and our electricians. So it brings me to the very deep philosophical question I want you to grapple with, with me today, which is, if you wouldn't trust an actuary to change a light bulb, then why make an electrician manage longevity? Um, so going into some definitions that we're going to be using for that paper. Funding for life. Funding for life we see as um, maximizing the income available for the essential expenditure in lifetime. So we're looking at, for, for a pensioner and dependents. Um, we, we're looking at things like rental, food, um, accommodation, medical bills. Funding for death wraps up a few things. So it wraps up discretionary spend over and above that, and then also residual assets available at the date of death to leave to beneficiaries who are not the dependents covered in the, the first part of funding for life. Um, sustainable income is then an income increasing more or less in line with inflation to cover at least that essential expenditure for the member and the dependents. And then insufficient assets, the, the thing that we've been talking about today, really, insufficient to maintain a standard of living. So I want to be very clear that what we're not covering today is, and, and this statistic varies, um, but from the Treasury papers, the 6% of South Africans who reach retirement with sufficient assets to maintain their standard of living. So, so we're not at all addressing that part of the, the population. We're also not addressing those who reach retirement with insufficient assets um, at such a low threshold that, that actually they can take that full um, benefit in cash. Um, what we're trying to do is address the, the majority in the middle who've reached retirement um, but with insufficient assets. So we go to pensioner needs. Um, we did a survey amongst um, people of retirement age in major metropolitan areas. Um, in that survey, 86% said they would prefer guaranteed income for life. Um, very similar number um, done um, coming out of the Sunlum survey. And also from our survey, 44% who said they cannot afford to lose any of their retirement savings before it would seriously impact their, um, their retirement lifestyle. If we go internationally, we see exactly the same trend. So the majority of people in the UK said they would prefer stable income for life. In Australia, 90% of Australians over the age of 50 said that money that lasts my lifetime is very important. So if we take that into, um, take into retirement Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, so Maslow's hierarchy of needs said, People first need to um, be able to meet the basic needs of physical survival and safety um, before they can start thinking of the higher level or higher order um, needs. Um, I could have used Costa's, Costa's fancy score sheet to say where do you rank actuaries in that, um, that hierarchy of needs. Um, maybe part of the answer comes from um, the, the table in the middle, which was some work done by Mitch Anthony, um, I don't know if he was an actuary or not, but taking that into the financial space. Um, and he swapped around esteem and love. Um, he decided that in the financial world anyway, um, self-esteem is easier to attain than love, as being one of those higher order um, things to aspire towards. <laughs> but taking it into, into finance. So, Essentially, um, physical survival needs is deal with immediate concerns and debt and have that essential income in order to be able to survive. And then going into the safety, similar to that emergency fund that, that Michael and Megan were talking about, a just-in-case fund, freedom income, um, having a little bit of discretionary spend over and above that, 
then leading towards being able to um, provide gifts, and in that area is uh, gifts to beneficiaries, which are not only dependents, and then the dreams, the, the bucket list that, that people might have um, wanting to tick off uh, before death. And so we, we've then bucketed that into two broader categories, essential spend, covering those gold bars at the bottom, and discretionary spend um, being the rest. And essentially we're saying those are two very different needs which require different solutions um, for being able to, to um, address those. So funding for life is in that realm of what covers our physical survival, how do we provide for those essential expenses, and that ideally needs to be matched with a guaranteed income for life which increases more or less in line with inflation, and then you know you've got that secured. Once you've got that secured, you're into discretionary spend, and there it's great to have a flexible investment vehicle, flexible income drawdown, scope for tax planning, and depending on the tolerance for volatility, um, take someone into what, what sort of risk profile they want to have for their, their investments. Um, so firstly, I want to just focus now on funding for life, and what do we have available to us to help somebody with their retirement pot get a little bit more out of their retirement. So firstly, if we start from the point that if we say we want to match that with something that provides a guaranteed income for life, we're in the realm of guaranteed annuities. And there's three broad categories of guaranteed annuities. Um, if we look at current pricing and we look at track record over the past 12 years or so, um, those three bars show how income that a pension has been getting has grown over that time. So, um, and that really illustrates the price of a guarantee for having fully guaranteed inflation, um, which then matches inflation but, um, but progresses at a, a slower level, to a fixed escalation annuity simply because the, the nominal space um, has higher yields available at the moment and then to with-profit annuities, which um, have linked to a growth portfolio, um, which um, if we look at where we target inflation and what's actually been produced in the markets over the last 12 years, um, th those markets have outperformed. Um, built into guaranteed annuity rates is the benefit of survival, um, and Johan and um, Mayur Laudia did a paper um, a few years ago to the Actuarial Society on um, the additional risk-free return that comes from survival um, with, within an annuity pool. And then, effectively, if we look at underwriting at retirement, what, what we are seeing, and, and um, yeah, what, what we're seeing through statistics is around 40% of the population could get an increase in their initial income of between 10 and 30 percent. So if we take those people in the, the discussions we've been having about replacement ratios, um, we, we take people there that are, are struggling for survival and we're able to give them an extra 10 to 30 percent um, just by doing some underwriting on them. It just lifts them and gives them um, a potential for experiencing a bit more from, from retirement. The challenge is always put, um, so that's great, but what happens if I die? Shouldn't I have something extra? Well, what, what we're saying is put into that guaranteed annuity funding that covers the, the pensioner and their dependents. Um, so any death benefits over and above that is in excess of already having catered for the needs of, of the dependents. And then that fits into the, the gifts bucket that we spoke about earlier. Funding for death, I won't spend any time on that because there we're in the discretionary part, flexible investments, flexible drawdown, um, and really um, if the emphasis is on just in case and freedom spend, then, then maybe you want a bit more conservatism. Um, if you're in the, um, the aspirations for gifts and dreams, um, you can afford more, more of a high equity stake um, to, to maximize long-term returns. So then I'm going to hand over to Johan to see if he can squeeze into a one-size-fits-all solution. Thanks, Dean. And good afternoon, everybody. Um, so what I'm going to do, uh, Dean presented 
uh, I think, a fairly simple framework um, of the different needs. Um, what I'm going to look at, uh, I'm going to look at the South African situation, the products available to, pension, for, to pensioners, and what they're actually using to address those needs. And um, so we've made the point in previous presentation as well that most people at retirement don't have sufficient assets to maintain standard of living. 90% um, of all money at retirement each year flows into living annuities. So what the market is telling us is that their preferred vehicle of decumulation is a living annuity. So um, I'm going to look at living annuity as a vehicle um, to meet either one of those two needs, whether it's um, for life or funding for death. And we'll do the same for, with profit annuity as well. <clears throat> so in the living annuity, um, the typical solution is you have flexibility and choice around the investments, um, you have uh, flexibility around the drawdown rate, and if the pensioner follows the guidance in terms of sustainable drawdown rates, which we'll look in a bit further today, um, there will be something left at death. In fact, by design, um, on average, uh, a, a pool of living annuitants will leave on average 20 to 25% of their full life savings uh, at death uh, because they can't consume everything uh, by design of a living annuity. Um, it might be no coincidence that that 90% figure is sort of similar to the 90% figure of people not uh, having enough money at retirement to retire comfortably. It might also not be a great coincidence that uh, these kind of products, the living annuities, is also great for insurers because we know that there are no guarantees, um, so the capital requirement is very low for the insurers. So the risk is obviously there. It's just not sitting with, on the insurance balance sheet. It sits on the individual's balance sheet, <clears throat> the point that Dean made earlier, um, and is fairly profitable as a result of the low capital requirements. Um, also, maybe no coincidence that it's also a very living annuity is great for advisors because they can earn an annual fee, which is will in total over the lifetime of the member um, account, amount to multiples of the one and a half percent that is regulated maximum for single premium annuity purchase. So the market is telling us this is the great product. Um, because that is what the numbers are showing in terms of behavior. So why do Treasury say, uh, you know, their concerns in terms of um, people running out of money? I mean, they're not alone, but their few lone voices would include myself there as well. Uh, we see uh, draft regulations, default regulations around annuities being issued. Um, and so why is there this big concern? <clears throat> so I'm going to touch on drawdown a couple of times. So this is sort of just taken from the internet. If you search, um, you know, uh, last week, uh, ASISA also announced the latest statistic of 2015 on living annuities. Um, and what is a sustainable drawdown rate? So ASISA is targeting or saying around 5%. So that's a communication that, that the members, clients, pensioners out there hear and, and what they will take into account with their financial advisor in terms of setting uh, a sustainable drawdown rate. Um, based on some international studies, uh, Alan Gray also um, said maybe 4%, the National Treasury Default Annuity Regulations have an age-based um, so from 7 to 17.5%. I'll show that a bit later. So that is sort of what the market or what the industry is telling the pensioners will be a sustainable drawdown rate. But the number, the actual average drawdown rate, and I think the the average mass, um, a lot of uh, what I believe is a problem uh, in the industry. The average drawdown rate uh, communicated last week by CISA is around 6.5%. Um, so um, I believe the issue at, at, uh, under discussion here is much more complex than to summarize it in, in one average. I think the distribution around that average is very skewed, um, and it would be interesting to see more about um, you know, those average drawdown rates by um, you know, the size 
for example, of the, of the uh, savings, um, I feel it will be much higher than the average because this is a money-weighted average. And a lot of big pots sit in there in a, in a tax haven because they draw the minimum 2.5 money-weighted that will draw down the average significantly. So 6.5% is above the 5% and the 4% in the previous slide. So if 5% is sustainable, and I'm not saying it is, um, I know the lower, the more money you'll have at death. But if you haven't saved enough, you're under-consuming. So there's a big risk that I think nobody's really paying a lot of attention to, is that our pensioners haven't saved enough, so a lot of said about that, and a lot of good things are happening, like uh, compulsory preservation, uh, things mentioned earlier, uh, ways to get and models um, for people to uh, encourage saving and, and get um, a higher pot at retirement. Um, so, but once in, in retirement, um, the, the problem is that if you didn't save enough, now you under-consume, so you make actually the problem worse, um, and that is sort of something that I'll touch on a bit later as well. So if you remember now, these people are retired, so their um, ability to save more, so to put more on the assets as the um, denominator of this equation um, doesn't exist. So the only way that you can inc reduce that 6.5% to 5% is to consume less or for your assets to, to sweat harder, for you to take on more risk, investment risk, to try and achieve a higher growth so that that percentage then comes down. We know um, that you will take on mar um, additional market risk and we already, um, Dean pointed to some of the research we've done earlier, where um, most people, or a big part of that people uh, um, surveyed, can't afford any reduction in the income. All right, so that is also why we see in the statistics that the living annuitants have a fairly conservative um, investment strategy. So that talks to the fact that they, they don't have enough money to take the risk because they are just getting by and they need to draw higher than what the market believes is the sustainable rate, that's also telling you that they don't have enough, enough to reduce that. So in order to, um, to increase your investment return, you're gonna to have to take on more risk. I'll talk um, about smoothing a bit later. Um, but what this is, so we all know about rand cost averaging, you know, as you are a net saver before retirement, every month you buy units or uh, into your fund and you get the average. When, and, and, and this has been spoken about a couple of times at uh, conferences and conventions, is the, the fact that once you reverse that, um, when you start decumulating your assets and you're fully exposed to that market, um, what we call the perils of rand cost ravaging, is um, and let me first then explain the lines that you're looking at and, and then make the point. Um, so so the, the y-axis is the drawdown percentage and the dotted red line at the top is the 7.5% cap on drawdown in a living annuity. Age is along the x-axis. Um, the starting point of the smooth curved line starts around 8% is just an example of a, had this person annuitized um, with profit annuity, in this instance a female at 65, um, the starting pension divided by the purchase sum is 8%. So if you can think of a annuity that is paid, even though it's not a drawdown percentage, uh, or they select the drawdown, it's just how the maths work out, um, but I want to talk more about that concept, so it's worth explaining it here. Uh, so think of an annuity as um, having a drawdown uh, percentage. If this, in the living annuity now, if this person tries to match that income that is available from a with profit annuity and increase that with inflation every year, <clears throat> the drawdown rate will escalate exponentially as you'll see with a smooth line going into the dotted line if they earn the 10% per annum, which is now also an average assumption, 
They will hit the cap at some point. I'm going to talk about hitting the cap a bit later. The point we want to make here is 10 years in, into this retirement, the members suffered a 10% loss one year and recovered 20% the year after that. So if you just smooth at simple average, so, um, don't get too hung up about the compounding nature of it, but if you say the average is, is still 10% per annum, it just didn't come through um, smoothly, and the member also had to consume at the same random amount, so didn't consume less because they couldn't afford to, you'll see that the solid line that is sort of jumped up there uh, hits the cap four years earlier because of that rand cost ravaging. Because the money depleted, you drew more units, and so less units could um, participate in 20% in upside. So that's the rand cost ravaging peril, and four years hitting the cap earlier, once you hit the cap, your nominal income comes down if you don't achieve 17.5% return after all fees, which I know is many times not going to be possible. So to, to start earning lower income four years earlier is a big chunk of retirement. Life expectancy for a 65-year-old female is about 20, 23 years, depending on what assumptions you use. So 4% of that, 20%. And 10 years in, it's sort of growing to about 40% of the remaining lifetime, which I believe is a, is a big risk. Yet, products are available. So that is just living in unity. We're parking there. We're coming back to it. Um, products and tools are available for people, especially, remember, we're focusing on, on that. We've, we've got sort of um, maybe enough to survive on, but not enough to, to sustain their um, uh, living um, level of um, standard of living after retirement. There are products out there to allow them to consume more at a faster rate with guarantees that they'll never run out of money without volatility, and that is an annuity. That's been a long, for a very long time. So what I tried to just say earlier is let's just do, to compare like for like, we're now going to look at a living annuity, uh, a with profit annuity pension um, as a converted to a drawdown percentage. All right, so for a male age 65, that drawdown percentage at retirement is 10% at current market pricing. Female at 65 is 8% because of the longer life expectancy and a joint male 65, female three years younger, 6.5%. So you'll notice that the 6.5% for a joint life is already higher than the 5%. So already they can, and this is the maximum and the optimal rate of consumption. If you consume higher than this, not even the pool or the industry can afford that because there will be a loss. There will be a, you know, it, it will have to be adjusted by lower future uh, increases. <clears throat> so, so these graphs, and I'll zoom in in the following graph, what the blue line is um, starting at 10%, which was in the table before, which is the starting drawdown percentage. That is the effective drawdown percentage a with profit annuity presents at retirement. But remember what an annuity is. If you divide the lump sum by an annuity factor to get a pension, effectively what you're doing in that annuity factor calculation, you take into account the life expectancy at retirement, which in this case, for the blue block is 17 years after retirement for a male, 22, uh, 22 years for a female, and about 28 years for that joint um, couple that we um, defined just before. So let's just walk, if you can't see the color clearly, the left-hand side is the blue one, um, which is the male, middle is the female, and the joint is on your right. Um, so a living annuity, the drawdown percentage, is defined as your annual income that you selected, divided by the pot of money that you started with, with investment return after fees, less all the pensions that you paid, obviously, because that is the amount left. If you do the same calculation with an annuity, you take the pension that the insurer will pay the annuitant at each point in time, divide by the purchase sum that was given, plus investment returns, less fees, less pensions paid out. So it's exactly the same calculation um, than what is happening in a living annuity, you see these rates. Now, obviously, they, they, they go out of the screen, 
um, to infinity, basically, because you consume all your money to divide by zero effectively. Um, that is why these rates of consumption um, is much faster than when a living annuity can um, achieve. So if I just zoom in at the bottom half there, so those uh, curved lines are still the same curved lines as before, and you see the 17.5% cap. Um, the, the dotted black line, which is sort of stepping up over time, is the proposed cap, age-based cap by National Treasury, um, just out of interest to see that also caps out at 17.5%, but they propose that people consume um, less at younger ages because obviously the sustainability and make it age-based because the older you are the more you need to consume because that is what an annuity is. It's consuming at the optimal pace. You cannot consume more than the curved line because that is not sustainable, not even for a pool that can cross-subsidize. It can't sustain that. So if you compare just when you hit um, when the worth profit annuity will give you 17.5% or more is sort of for the male eight years into retirement. The life expectancy is 17. So it can allow you to consume more without a cap um, about, what is that, 10 years, eight years earlier than what a living annuity allows you to do. And you need to do that for those people who don't have extra money. They need to consume all their money. <clears throat> so living annuity, trying to achieve that, assuming the blue line matches the, the essential expenditure, will not, the living annuity will not be able to do that because by design, the cap is limiting that ability to draw down, which creates that risk for our pensioners, and I believe it's the bulk of pensioners out there, they are under-consuming. Um, and then you have to transfer between generations that was mentioned earlier as well. All right, if you just do the same calculation for the female and the joint life, you can see all of the scenarios, um, the, the guaranteed with profit annuity gives you a, um, a, a much higher, much faster rate of consumption. So this is the line of 5% that CISA is sort of communicating and trying to reduce um, the average consumption rate to this 5%, which is far below the, the optimal rate of consumption. So, um, and, and I put sustainable in inverted commas because I believe it's not sustainable because people don't have enough money to reduce their expenditure down to this, to this level and the numbers are, that is what it's telling us. I think instead of trying everything to reduce the average, we must use the tools and the products available for, to help people who haven't saved enough to consume more because of the need that is clearly identified. We talked a bit about higher, um, um, higher equity allocation. This is just a balanced fund, aggressive e e um, equity allocation, which is, um, can be used in with profit annuities. Because an insurer can smooth give smooth returns. The blue line is just sort of six-year average smooth return. Um, if, a, if a member invests in the same product, um, and this is actual returns, and a lot of balance funds would have looked very much similarly in 2008, 2009, um, you know, the poor returns with the crash there. Uh, a living annuitant with limited resources can't invest in that because they would have had a huge, um, 2008 would have been a very bad <clears throat> bad scenario. Whereas the ability of insurers and actuaries actually um, to um, smooth that return, what that does, and I believe this is a very underrated tool that we, that we as actuaries have, um, because you allow this pensioner to be exposed to a much higher equity content with lower risk, um, which gives them high expected return and then make their money go far further in terms, and especially with the scenario we have in South Africa for people not saving enough. And another tool to enable you to do this um, is dynamic hedging, um, uh, mentioned before. That, is, um, that has been around for, I mean, 11 years ago. It was presented um, at the convention. 
Um, and I think the uptake of that throughout the profession in retirement industry has, has been fairly small. So concluding, um, looking at these sort of results um, and, and the issues I've highlighted, uh, I believe a suitable product for essential income is a worth profit annuity. Um, compared to other guaranteed annuities currently with the yields available, I believe that even though there's, there's some residual risk of targeting inflation instead of guaranteeing inflation, the buffer, which currently is about 40% in price, so let me just stop there quickly. The difference between a starting annuity of a with profit annuity targeting inflation and with proven track records have met that target, um, compared to an inflation-linked annuity which guarantees inflation every year, currently is 40%. So that is too big a buffer, I believe, for that extra guarantee at the current. Obviously, if real yields were to rise, that scenario, and, and, and when the inflation-linked annuities were first introduced, uh, real yields were 5 6%, obviously the scenario would, would have been much, much different. But in the current market environment, the value for money that we can provide to pensioners to, give, to consume their assets without the risk of running out of money is a guaranteed annuity linked to some equity, high equity component. On the other side, clearly, and um, maybe I should say that very clearly, is I don't believe with profits are bad products. Um, there's a clear need that it addresses in the discretionary spend because the, the guaranteed annuity can't do that. It doesn't leave something behind the way a living annuity does. And there's a clear need that that will address. But if it's a one-size-fits-all, I don't think so. Um, and this is my last slide where, where we say, you know, the purpose here was to encourage debate um, in the profession and innovation around the products we offer. Um, we've been challenged as an industry and as a profession by Treasury. Um, we have the skills, we have the professional responsibility, and um, uh, uh, maybe interesting on, on, on the TCF framework, <clears throat> where in terms of providing, on building the products, uh, we need to identify a clear need that that product needs to address. Um, we need to then also ensure that that product live up to those expectations. And the other thing, which is um, maybe a bit more contentious, is, but it's, it's, it's one of the pillars of TCF, is that we need to ensure that the products are sold for the initial market that it was intended for. So whether uh, living annuities, 90% of money going in there, is it the right, does it address the right need that it was designed for? So we believe we can do more with the tools that we have to allow our pensioners to get more out of retirement. Um, yeah, I think, let me, let me leave it there. I can go on for hours. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Johan. Thank you. Recognizing that what stands between you and lunchtime are a series of questions, <laughs> I'm going to open the floor up for some questions um, uh, to either Dean or Johan. You guys must really be hungry. <laughs> oh, there's a question there. Thank you. Yeah, maybe I'll speak a bit louder this time. Um, my, my question is really about you know, this, um, these products being sold after retirement, shouldn't these products be sold prior to retirement? Um, for example, the pension medical aid liability that could easily be a, a what, we, what did you call it, the cost of life um, 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 income or income requirement, and that could actually be funded from the fund at pension. Um, and that kind of benefit, annuity benefit, could actually be paid by the fund um, and not really be sold as individual um, on an individual basis. Um, and that might actually be a, a, a more practical tool in the annuity with profit annuity market. Um, and that's just one example. 
of how to effectively use this kind of um, tool um, prior to retirement. Thank you. Okay, so I think the question was around, um, so can we use those tools prior to retirement? Um, and so I think it depends on the way that, that funds are structured. So funds do have a, a certain amount of flexibility around whether the, how they structure. We, we've seen a big move in South Africa away from structuring for an income-related benefit in, in retirement. Um, largely because of the reasons that we were talking about moving that liability away from um, the balance sheet of the employer. Also, one of the trends that are, that's wrapped up in that is saying individuals move from one place to another. So, so there's a lot of different tools being used to try to say, um, <clears throat> certainly in the um, initiatives put forward by Treasury, that if somebody does change jobs, that retirement benefit should be um, locked up and then transfer with them so that at least when they get to retirement, they'll get the full accumulated amount. Um, and then in terms of propositions that are put forward to the individual, so at the moment a lot of that is in the retail space, but there are funds that, that put forward those propositions as um, institutionally priced propositions for, for um, individuals to choose from, um, where the trustees of the fund choose to, to put in place a framework that allows them to do that. So um, I think the ability is there for that to be done, it's actually the trustees of the funds to, to then do that. I, I can just add one, one thing. Um, I think defined benefit funds did exactly that many, many years ago. Now we want to reinvent that again, which is good. So individuals could buy these annuities um, before retiring giving them the choice to basically spend that money if they have the access and ability to do so. Is yes. That right? yeah. yes, so basically use, say, whatever accumulated a million, two million yeah. rand in the retirement fund, yeah. purchase an annuity that is intended for that medical aid liability going forward yeah. at pension. Yeah. So you're paying while you're working yes. for the specific, as, as an individual, you're paying off those costs that you're going to have at retirement. So when you get to retirement, you got you know what discretionary money you can put that into an ILA, mm. and non-discretionary expenses you've already set in during your working life. Yes. Yeah. Make it's a far more appropriate way of planning than sitting at the end of life or end of retirement then deciding. And far cheaper. And far cheaper. And far cheaper. Yeah. 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 So effectively saying, well, let's let's bring that decision forward. So instead of saying I'm going to build up a pot of money, I'm, I'm rather going to say I want this amount of income in retirement and then um, you, you know that you've bought a portion of that with each year's savings. And, and I know there are some products out there that, that do that, so, so that's, that, that would be a possibility for, for somebody that wanted to plan that way. Yep. Any more questions? Yeah, there's a question, Karen. Johan, just under 40% pricing gap. What purchase rate did you assume when you with profit annuity? And then for the mortality assumption, um, did you use a different mortality assumption for your with profit annuity than for your inflation linked annuity, or did you use the same? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to give you my pricing basis, <laughs> um, but nice try. <laughs> so, um, what I can tell you is that um, there's no difference in the assumptions between guaranteed and with profit annuities on the mortality side. Um, then on the post-retirement interest rate, it, um, that, it, uh, that targets inflation, given all the other design elements. So to give you the exact percentage might confuse a lot of people in the audience that is familiar with a different design because <coughs> one PRI is not the same as the next. But in terms of that product, it's designed that 2% of post-retirement interest rate targets inflation. Thank you. Probably just to add to that, in terms of that, um, in terms of saying it targets inflation, that's, that's based on asset models and projections going forward in terms of what's actually been delivered at that PRI looking back 10 years. Um, and that's been a great 10 years for the market, but um, the, the track record's been a lot 
higher than inflation. Uh, one more question. We have time for one more question. We seriously do have time for one more question. <laughs> no more questions. Okay, well, on behalf of the Pensions Committee at the Actuarial Society, I'd like to thank both Johan and Dean for their uh, excellent presentation today. Um, uh, it's this sort of innovation that uh, the, the, the industry does need um, to see and to debate um, in order for us to take forward our role as, as advisors and as practitioners in this industry. So thank you on behalf of the Retirement Matters Committee. We really appreciate your, your efforts today. Thank you. I'd like to uh, once again thank our sponsors, Liberty Life, who are in fact um, hosting a, a, a draw. Um, you can collect uh, the card that you need for purposes of that draw, which will take place just shortly before the next tea break um, outside at the foyer. I'm told that the prize is a, a, a Franschuk uh, seller pack, which, which I'm sure by the end of a day such as this would uh, come <laughs> in, in most handy. Um, I'm told too that lunch is upstairs on the fourth floor. Uh, we're currently on the second floor. It's on the fourth floor in committee rooms two, four, and five. Um, I think we'll be back just shortly before two. Uh, we have a, a very full agenda for the afternoon. Please do come back. Don't run away. Um, there are some really interesting uh, topics uh, to be presented on, and we'd really be grateful for everybody's attendance this afternoon, of which one of the topics is a professionalism uh, 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 course which I know is, is the one, is the one um, bit of CPD that most of us struggle with. And, and tactically, um, I put that right at the end so as to get everybody back. So thanks very much for your attendance this morning. We hope that you've enjoyed it. Uh, we look forward to seeing you just after lunch. Thank you. <laughs>